I'm Maureen Vallatori, and this is Spilled Salt, a podcast on the thrills and spills from the food, beverage, and agriculture industries. Today's guest is Jacob Fox. He is a regenerative systems consultant based in the Finger Lakes in Geneva, New York, and his mission is to de- demystify agriculture. Uh, so he's really focused on regenerative farming methods, um, and our conversation today also strolls into some actions that CPG companies and consumers can take to seek out some more sustainable options, as well as Jacob's take on what's next for agriculture. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks for joining me today. We're going to jump right into our questions. um, And I want to start with a little bit of your background. So you're one of the most passionate people I know when it comes to soil health. I've never met somebody who spoke more passionately about dirt, which I know is the unkind word for it, right? But talk a little bit about how you got into soil health and then specifically regenerative. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, it really started with good food. Um, I've I've mm. been a athlete my whole life. I, I played college soccer and I've played a high level of uh, various athletics. And so I've always ate pretty well. I, I kind of discovered that as a trick to staying fit is eating well. And, you know, once you start eating well, you know, there's a lot of good food as well. It's not just all eating kale or, you know, something, you know, a lot the way that a lot of people look at eating well. Um, there's actually a lot of, um, really the discussion between processed and unprocessed is kind of what I stumbled upon. And so as someone who, you know, is a normal city dweller, um, you know, I was just at the at the mercy of what my supermarkets could offer me or, you know, where I could acquire this produce. And so, you know, that kind of started a long journey of figuring out how to improve, you know, my food system and, and my, you know, personal resiliency. Um, so I that, that's been a journey for a long time, but I, I kind of got involved with agriculture after uh, college. Um, I got involved with the compost industry and I built a company and built a facility and really, you know, talked with a lot of farmers uh, in that industry and, you know, selling them uh, soil, compost. And what I really realized was going around all those farmers is that's actually what I want to do is I really, really want to farm. And so, um, you know, that is uh, an interesting conversation because when you tell most people you want to farm, they say, don't do it. You're going to lose money. And so for me, I kind of saw that as a challenge and I said, all right, you know, let's figure out how to grow good food and make money, you know, and, and make it, you know, resilient system, both, uh, ecologically, but also financially. And so, um, you know, I don't come from a traditional agricultural background, but you know, I'm trying to utilize my skills learned outside of agriculture and applying them to agriculture and um, really trying to bring more people like me who don't have any family connection um, to, to agriculture, but, you know, who come from privilege and who want to spread, you know, uh, knowledge. Um, you know, this isn't new knowledge. A lot of this is indigenous knowledge. And, you know, it's been here before, but it's a matter of rediscovering it. And so that really is makes me incredibly passionate about it. You know, it's the it's the uh, combination between, you know, eating good and history and working outside and, um, you know, working with your body and working with others. And that's really, you know, what is my, my passion sources from. And where are you learning those farming skills? I didn't realize you didn't have a farming background. So where, where are you finding that education? Yeah, I mean, so lucky to be in the Finger Lakes region, Uh, you know, tons of great farmers around here. I mean, I'd say, you know, 
20, 30 of the best farmers in the world, you know, tied for the best farmers in the world are up here. When I say t- best farmers, I'm talking about like their systems are really, you know, sustainable and regenerative. And, you know, so they've, when I say they're the best farmer, I'm saying they've created a system in which it doesn't, you know, kill them, you know, both either financially or uh, spiritually or um, environmentally as well. And so, uh, you know, I've learned from yeah. a lot of uh, folks in the region. I've, um, Mike Biltonen is a guy down in the Trumansburg area. Sean Dombrowski runs Edible Acres, which is a perennial plant nursery. John Bates really turned me on to perennials. And these are just folks that are within an hour drive. Um, and then, I mean, I've been super lucky, you know, growing up in this age of technology. Like there's so much information on YouTube and Facebook groups are actually some of the best ways to source agricultural information because, you know, mm. you're connected with people across the world. You can you can really target them specifically. So let's say, you know, I'm growing perennial vegetables and, you know, the only other people that are growing perennial vegetables are in, you know, a lot of you know, what we consider like third world countries or, or more like tropical environments. And so you need to kind of learn about you know, what they're doing and try to apply it to our climate. And so you can talk to these folks um, through Facebook, which is incredible. And I've made so many great connections. And so I really just started learning about agriculture in about 2016. And uh, now I'm, you know, a few hmm. years in. And uh, I mean, I'm very, try to be humble about it just because I've, haven't been in the industry for a while, but the industry, unfortunately, was very much in the dark. And so there's been so much in the past, like seven, 10 years that have been rediscovered. And so I've been lucky enough to be part of that. So let's go back to something that you said earlier about the, your focus on good food and processed versus unprocessed. What is it about regenerative farming methods that makes the food better? And and what does that mean? Like what, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, let's just talk, start with animals. Um, you know, I love the saying, you are what you eat and you are what you eat eats. And you know, that like, you know, we've kind of internalized, mm-hmm. you are what you eat. You know, you know, if you eat, you know, junk food all day, you're not going to feel good. Well, guess what? If that animal you ate, ate junk food all day, you're also not going to feel good. And, you know, the, the bygone effects of that, you know, them eating junk food, they have to get more antibiotics. You know, they have to, you know, have way more, uh, non, you know, natural things inputted into the process in order to, you know, make it a sellable product versus regenerative, you know, you're really, um, Mm. you're, you're doing things as close to, you know, the natural system as possible. Now, you know, that's not exactly as easy as, 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 um, just, you know, letting them go and they know what they're doing. I mean, we've, you know, bred animals different ways, you know, we used to have bison all over the place. Now we have cows. And so, and we also used to have shared land. So you used to be able to, you know, graze. Now we have, you know, so many divides. And so really it's about, creating like a natural system on your farm. And so just one differentiator is the way that most cows are produced is they're sitting in a barn for most of their lives. Um, You know, there's either 
grain finished or grain throughout their whole lives. And so, you know, at some period in time, sometimes longer than others, they're sitting in a barn the entire time. And so, you know, these cows aren't moving around, so they don't, um, you know, get the kind of uh, health benefits from moving around. And so they have to be fed all these different things. You know, we also feed them to create Mm -hmm. quantity rather than quality and versus regenerative, uh, grazing is where you're, um, what's called mob grazing. You, you basically take the animals out into the grasslands and you, you, uh, intensively graze them in periods and then you let it rest. So you intensely graze it, you let it rest, which is very similar to what the way that, um, our grasslands actually evolved with bison and, and them moving around. And so the, the, the I, I, don't, I can't quote exactly, but the health differences between feedlot meat and grass-fed beef is just unbelievably uh, stark. Um, but the biggest thing is the impact of those farms. Like, you know, a feedlot farm usually requires a centralized uh, heavy infrastructure, uh, you know, headquarters, essentially, they have barns, they have tractors, they have silage uh, bins, you know, a lot of infrastructure. Um, and then they mm-hmm. have to go farm, you know, 2000 acres of crops and then bring the bring the stuff to them. And so um, I, my favorite, I love this uh, one farmer out of South Dakota, Gabe Brown, who uh, he was actually, you know, that heavy industrialized system is incredibly costly, um, like capital intensive, which so a lot of these farmers are taking out loans, you know, based barely, uh, barely surviving, you know, on government subsidies, essentially. And so Gabe Brown was on that edge of bankruptcy. And he looks at his cows and he looks at his barn and his tractors and he goes, oh, yeah, these cows have legs. I don't need to bring the food to them. They can go get the food. And oh, by the way, when they go get the food, it actually improves Mm -hmm. the pasture if you're managing them in a specific way. Oh, yeah, if they're actually moving around and eating a diverse diet, they don't get as many diseases and they're able to pass uh, parasites easily. You know, there's all sorts of things you can then – you know, combine animals. So you can have chickens going after cows and chickens love eating the larvae that grows on cow poop. And that helps the poop actually, um, integrate more into the soil. And that, that's really this huge thing is that we really need manure. We need it to be responsibly managed, but it, as far as like replenishing our land, like chemical fertilizers is not the move. And so that's yeah. where you know, the vegan movement, you know, I think is missing that and that, you know, animals are really important. Now, you know, the whole, you know, kill an animal discussion is a, is a, is a longer one because, you know, a lot of the intensive veggie production requires heavy tillage. So you're killing earthworms, you're killing all those microorganisms that are in the soil. Now, sure, they're not as cheap as a little cow, but... Mm-hmm. You know, those ecosystems, those little microorganisms are really, really helping us cycle atmospheric to uh, atmospheric CO2, capture water so it doesn't pollute our water bodies. So, you know, there's a tremendous uh, environmental consequence of one versus the other um, and the health consequences as well. And I mean, just last thing on this is like a technology that I'm really excited about. um, The Bionutrient Food Association has been – working on this for a while, basically making uh, 
nutrient density spectrometry more available. So one day you're going to be able to go into a supermarket with Hmm. your phone and you're going to be able to take a picture of an apple and take a picture of another apple. And it's going to give you, you know, this apple has this many nutrients and it's covered in glyphosate. This one has this many nutrients and it's not covered in glyphosate. And so for me, you know, that That is wild would be really fascinating. And so you know, not only for my health and welfare, but also, you know, in the future as the markets hopefully correct in this way. Um, So that's, you know, a fascinating thing that I always think about. You go to a supermarket now and it's like all natural. It's like, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, yeah. And so I, I could go down a rabbit hole about natural because that's one of the unregulated terms that can actually go on CPG products and it doesn't actually mean anything. Um, (laughs) I, I love ag tech solutions like that that you mentioned, and I think those are some of the the things that we're most excited to work on with our clients. And we've we are we're working with some folks who are doing some really interesting things around methane, which is another conversation for another day. But that technology that you're talking about be, to be able to scan for nutrients would also be life changing for the global environment too. I mean, imagine in third world countries to be able to measure nutrient density in produce like that would be pretty remarkable. Um, so I think one of the things that's, that's great about the knowledge that you've been able to collect and, and now share with the world too, is, is this fact that you're new to farming and that you're absorbing, right? You're an open book. It's not, you know, well, that's how my dad did it. I mean, I grew up on a dairy farm. A lot of what you were just explaining is, you know, my dad put our beef cows and the dairy cows out to pasture. And that was how it was done back then, you know, and, but every farm is different. So you, you are calling yourself a regenerative systems consultant. And so tell me a little bit about the work that you're doing these days. Are you specifically targeting regenerative systems and kind of helping to share the knowledge that you've learned with other folks to implement that for the benefit of soil health and good food? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. Um, I mean, that's a really fascinating thing that I've I've worked for the past five, six years as an environmental consultant, a sustainability consultant, a climate smart community uh, coordinator. It's been called many different things. And for me, it's actually missing the point. You know, the sustainability, we can't sustain the way that we're currently at. Um, So, you know, let's throw that one out. You know, environmental consultant, I I mean, I I think that's too broad. You know, it also, um, you know, kind of uh, connotates like a certain type of uh, envir- uh, activism or, or something. And so for me, it's like, no, we're, everything that we do is like a system. Like there's inputs and there's outputs and those inputs have to come from somewhere and those outputs have to go somewhere as well. And so I've tried to frame my work as trying to help people improve their systems and and ideally try to create a regenerative one. And so a lot of the clients that I've picked up originally with this are, you know, a compost company, a biochar company, you know, a a startup that's working with microalgae. So, you know, there's a lot of these folks that are creating solutions for the regenerative space but they're very much on the outside. Um, and, you know, often they get, uh, uh, you know, called snake oil salesmen, you know, and because the modern agriculture mm-hmm. world is so, um, you know, it's so caught up in the chemical world uh, that, you know, you start to throw, you know, these alternatives in there and, uh, 
just the pathway to actually sell fertilizer to farmers is really confusing. Like most of them have like a certified crop consultant and there's also crop insurance and there's so many factors that go in there. And a lot of times these companies that work really hard to discover something, they don't really know that because they've spent time mastering their business, whether it's making biochar or making microalgae, you know, and so suddenly they just think, or they've read an article, they've read some research or something that says that this stuff is good, they make it, and now they're like, okay, who's going to buy it? And, you know, that's where I mm-hmm. try to help them think uh, about, you know, target markets. I try to help them if they are, you know, already coming from a regenerative space, like, you know, do more of that, you know, as far as like if you're sourcing your products. Yeah. Try to source them more locally, and if you're uh, if you have waste, you know, make sure that that waste is handled in a regenerative fashion. And um, so there's so much uh, with there's like scope one, scope two, and scope three emissions that kind of refer to emissions that come from a company. And and this is all as it relates to you know climate goals. And this has be- become a very popular thing. But most of what people are doing is just like, oh, I need to reach my climate goals. Let's go buy some solar power or something. And you know. That's a mm, whole other Yeah, thing. right. And honestly, you know, I mean, I do support renewable energy. There are a lot of downsides. Um, really what I advocate more so is like if you want to make an impact to the environment, eat regenerative food. Like there's no downside to that. Mm. We also help to rescue a lot of these rural economies that, you know, people are really struggling, um, you know, versus the solar companies are killing it. They're doing great, you know, and, and so – that's where, you know, yeah. they really want to improve their impact, feed their, when they have burger day, have grass fed burgers rather than do some sort of like technocratic solution. Um, that's what's winning right now in the climate discussion is the technocratic solutions. And that's where I'm trying to bring the regenerative nature based solutions that are um, actually have more benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other argument I've been frequently hearing on solar, too, is that there are some farmers, because it's it's a set and forget, that they're using their viable, high-quality farmland and putting solar there, solar panels instead, right? Because they don't have to do anything to it. I mean, it's very low maintenance, right? And so now our high-quality farmland is being scooped up by solar, which, to your point, it's a good thing, right? Solar is a good thing, but let's try and put it on top of buildings, right, instead of on high-quality farmland. So when you say that one of the best things that people can do is eat regenerative food, right? Um, And I think that what kind of tips can you share for, like, the average everyday person or, you know, a big audience of this podcast is folks who are starting CPG brands or scaling CPG brands? How can they incorporate regenerative food into what they're building or doing? Or how can the consumer kind of keep an eye out for that kind of thing? Yeah, for sure. I, I really think it's, like, just rationality. Just, like, think about the impact of your product, um, you know, I, I think of it when I buy someone's product, you know, and I'm often um, disappointed in the lack of information or the, uh, you know, they guide you mm-hmm. in all these different ways. You know, they say these stories about their family or they, you know, there's so many different stories. And it's like, listen, all I'm asking you is, is buying your product, you know, I there's this great uh 
Netflix show called The Good Place that I don't know if you've ever seen it, but the concept is mm. that uh, basically, I mean, I, I don't want to spoil the show for you, but uh, in the end of the day, no one is in the good place because everything we do has wow. some negative, you know, it's like I bought that banana. Oh, guess what? That banana is, you know, being, you know, grown in a country that they're not using good labor practices, blah, 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 blah. And so for me, I, that, mm-hmm seems incredibly rational. So it's just like for a CPG company, I'm hoping that the future is just like, let me know where your stuff comes from a little bit about how it's produced. And then let me know, you know, if you do produce a significant amount of waste or you have to ship your product all over the place, just mention how you've been able to get that around. Like, you know, and this is a fascinating conversation because it deals with like carbon negativity carbon neutrality and carbon positiveness. Right. And, and I actually try to mm-hmm. take like a super rational approach on it where it's like, listen, if I'm growing a carbon negative product in upstate New York that is able to be shipped to, you know, the furthest, re- you know, over, mid- the Middle East, like somewhere that's as far a- a- away from the Finger Lakes as possible. But in the way that it got there, it paid people fairly. It didn't, you know, you know, contribute to some crazy, obviously some of these things are more controllable than others, but I just really hope a sense of honesty. And I think that when, not, I think I I know when I've been working with brands, they start to be like, Oh, thank God. So it's not just this like crazy word salad. And, you know, I mean, we both have spent a lot of time. I mean, you way more like in the branding world that, you know, there's so many like fancy words that can drive you to certain directions like buzzwords. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those buzzwords mm-hmm. can be helpful, but you know, for me, it's just like have a little bit of honesty about your process. And if you don't have honesty, I kind of assume that you're not doing it well. Like that's why I would assume about like grass fed. Like if I go to a restaurant and they don't say that it's grass fed, assume that it's feedlot. You know, mm-hmm. and that's where I think as right consumer, exactly yeah ask the tough questions like you know if you have a brand that's producing something and let's say it is super regenerative uh and they're not talking about that that's a missed opportunity you know if they are you know like somewhere in between and and so for me it's just about the honesty just like draw it out for me (laughs) yeah and i think some of what is tough about regenerative in particular is that it's still a term that people are learning, right? That the average everyday consumer, I think, is still kind of getting on board with that language. So there's different ways that it's talked about in terms of what does the average consumer look for on the grocery store shelf or how is that brand telling its story amidst the flavor profile story, the sustainability story. You know, we work with Gimme Coffee down in Ithaca, who is, you know, really a big advocate for fair wage and fair sourcing. And and they sing that story loud and proud, which is great. Latini Sunflower Milk, another client that is an example of when you talk about how a consumer can make a choice, right, between almond milk, which is, you know, very resource rich to farm compared to sunflower milk, which is sourced from a regenerative product, sunflowers being regenerative, is an example of how that substitution can be made that that starts to, you know, turn the needle, uh, move the needle a little bit. Yeah. You are working on a very exciting project in the Finger Lakes. 
What can you share publicly about that? Uh, the compost facility or my farm? The farm. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, this farm is, is really what I'm hoping to spend the rest of my life doing, but uh, it's, the goal is to really demystify agriculture and kind of, you know, exactly what you just said is spot on, like kiss the ground. Who's a pretty good advocacy organization for regenerative. They just mm, did yes, survey. totally. They just did a survey. And I think 4% of Americans knew what regenerative was, um, which is so small. And yeah. we're coming up on a farm bill uh, soon. So the farm bill is super important every five to seven years, basically the, the next five to seven years of farming gets decided by the U.S. government. And oftentimes it's been subsidizing commodity scale crops, corn, soy, wheat, rice, cotton. And, and then dairy also has subsidies as well. Um, you know, a lot of those. I mean, I could go off about, you know, why we should change that into actually paying farmers for their ecosystem value rather than paying them for, you know, some production. Like we actually want to feed people and we actually want to survive for a while we'd pay farmers for their ecosystem value um so you know for me it's it's a very confusing world of agriculture that i've learned over the past few years there's both on the production side so how can i grow these products in a way that doesn't harm me my workers the environment or our, our local community you know how can i do that but how can i also make it financially viable um, so for me, I, you know, it's so funny. Everyone always asks me, what are you farming? And I hope to never be mm. able to answer that question because I hope it's going to be such a broad range of stuff. And that's where the mystery is. You know, for the last 70, 80 years, you're mm. a potato farmer, you're a corn farmer, you're that, you know, and unfortunately, first of all, that doesn't take into it mind crop rotation so a lot of people have started doing crop rotation right but still they they live and die by these certain crops and like that would be insane that'd be like having one client you know i come from a world that's not farming where you know you would yeah. never put all your eggs in one basket you know like there's a reason for that saying and so what i'm planning to do is is create a farm that has so many diverse streams of revenue that you know, first of all, we can feel comfortable to live our lives and not have to be, you know, held hostage by the commodity markets. But also we can try things. Yeah, we, we can put along like I'm planting a lot of perennials that aren't going to yield like agricultural value for like eight to 15 years or so. And so in the meantime, I'm mm -hmm. trying to find different ways of revenue. So I get apples dumped at my farm from a local juice company. And they pay me anywhere between ten to fifteen thousand dollars a year. Now that I'm actually doing them a, a service, and you know this uh, this has been from my previous life as a composter is that there's a lot of money in handling food waste, and then you can also use that food waste to create really good compost, which is basically the food for your plants. And so, you know, I'm trying to create diverse revenue streams. I got. You know, money coming in that way. I'm getting fresh uh, compost that I'm going to be able to. First, it's cost avoidance on the production side, but then I also get all this compost to play with. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try things that other farmers mm -hmm. don't try because they have to buy compost and they have to use it really strategically. I'm also going to be adding some agritourism elements on the farm. I mean, for me, 
I would my life goal is to try to demystify agriculture. That's a big goal, but you know, I would love for people to come out and and you know, it's what we said. The reason four percent people know this, the reason people are so con- confused about almond milk, cow milk, is because we are so disconnected from where our food comes from. Uh, you know, growing up in the early 2000s, like that was just a growing movement. But, you know, in the past, it was like, oh, global economy, you know, it's, this is coming from Brazil. That's coming from there. Like, that's actually good. But there's there is actually a lot of downsides like nutrient density and shipping, you know, um, you know, extracting value from one area because, you know, the government said it was the right place to grow stuff for the nation. You know, it's just so confusing that the average person has no idea where their food comes from. They have no idea what totally does, how they sell their products. And so for me that, I mean, I have tons of friends who I'm constantly explaining to them what I do and why I'm doing it. And so my goal honestly is to do that is to bring people up and say like, see this, this is a farm, you know, you see that over there, that is also a farm, but they make on average 350 an acre before expenses. So they're losing money. I'm over here making money in all these diverse ways. I'm inviting you out to come check out my spot. And and there's all of these, you know, hidden costs here. Like, um, you know, uh, I, I, you know, folks who, uh, you know, really have been disconnected from the land or, you know, they go to all these like wilderness retreats or they go to something like that. And for me, I've been lucky enough to travel and, 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 you know, try to broaden my horizons. And you know, what makes me feel the best out of anything growing something. And, you know, that is such like a Mm -hmm. thing that, you know, I would love to, like, my hope is to try to bring people up to the farm and, and show them that they can actually have a sense of accomplishment in their lives. They can feel good about, you know, what they're eating, you know, and, and once you start to demystify those things, it's like light bulbs go off in their heads. And, um, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to change the system, but I think if I can have an impact and, you know, people can come back and they can reference it, then, you know, that's really my goal. Yeah, I think where you can also have a big impact too, Jacob, is you're talking, you're talking about the two, of two very distinct audiences: consumers, right, who don't know and need to be educated so that when they're doing their regular trip to the grocery store, or you know, maybe it's walking into the grocery store instead of doing Instacart, little micro changes like that that you're kind of educating the consumer, seek local, those sort of things. But you're also talking about educating the farmer, right? And how do you kind of explore more sustainable methods of operating your farm in the economic sense? How do you earn more money on your land? And that is also a really important job as well. And so I love this demystifying agriculture umbrella and how it can serve both of those audiences especially with value-added production is something I constantly have farmers coming to me. Hey, USDA has money, money, money available for for value-added production. 
where do I start? What do I do? How do I incorporate that onto my farm? I've been a dairy farmer for five generations. What do you mean value-added production? So I think that with what you're doing and your angle on all of this for like the ripple effect of impact of sustainability, I know you mentioned that that's not really the word that encompasses all of it, but that's what you're talking about. Sustainable methods for farm economics, human health, the environment, the climate, you know, everything like that, rolling up to a sustainable um, story. Absolutely. And my last piece on that is like, you know, it's it's so funny. We often look over at these farmers. And we, why are you doing that? Why are you why are you doing that way? Why are you planting that crop? Why are you wasting all that stuff? It's like they literally are on the verge of bankruptcy, and our government tells them, if you do this, we'll give you this. And so they're just off down that road. Mm -hmm. And if you can suddenly say, hey. Or they're multi-generations. Oh, my right? God. They're 70, 80 years of the same mentality. And, you know, that's where I'm also lucky in that I don't have that. And that I'm, you know, I'm seeing all these different yeah. opportunities. And, and that is, 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 is difficult. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I admire your your mission and the work that you're doing. Thanks for all these resources that you shared. Kiss the Ground um, is a great one for everybody listening to follow and get engaged with as a as a great place to start. Um, what what in final words kind of what do you think is next for agriculture and climate health in general? Well, it's the thing I'm advocating for the most, and it's paying farmers for their ecosystem services. Like the farm bill, the last farm bill had some of this in there. A lot of it was like studying how to determine whether, you know, soil. So you have all these companies that have started with, uh, you know, things to measure soil health as well as practices. And so, I mean, I believe we have to do that. You know, and, and, and or we're headed for another dust bowl, you know, not to be gloom and doom. But, um, you know, if we want our land in America to be productive and if we don't want to import all of our food at a high cost, like we really need to pay farmers for their ecosystem value. And mm -hmm. that will also help to solve a lot of our dietary problems. You know, a lot of the farms that are growing these industrial products, you know, for because that's the only money they can get. And so I see payment for ecosystem services is the future of agriculture. And uh, the farm bill on Kiss the Ground. And by that you mean helping the farm earn more for creating their own compost and value-added production and kind of doing more with what they're doing on, on their property. Is that right? Yeah, a lot of farmers are, are already doing this, you know, for reasons that – are very like internal, but, you know, for example, like the town of Lodi a few years ago washed away because a flood, you know, and it costs millions of dollars to clean a flood and it costs millions mm. of dollars to clean dirty water. We can actually pay farmers proactively less to make sure that our, our towns don't flood and our water's clean. And so it could be as simple as building a farm pond on your land. It could be as simple mm -hmm. as not tilling it for some years, planting perennials, like, you know, always keeping your soil covered is super mm -hmm. important, but there's now they're kind of starting to incentivize that, but we're still in this commodity all the way world. 
And, you know, while I don't think that that's necessarily going to change overnight, I would like for there to be a significant – and USDA does pay farmers for their for their improving their land. But it's the matter is we, we don't have a price on mm-hmm. it though. And so like what does our water – what mm. is the value of the water in the Finger Lakes to us? What is the value of future farming? Mm-hmm. What is the value of air quality? And as we start to put numbers to those things – the, the people who are in the best position to capture that revenue is farmers and because they're the biggest land managers. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly if you put a incentive system in there that was focusing on encouraging them to look after the land better because it's not a food that the food we have enough food that whole that's a myth is is that we need this commodity program in order to produce food. No, it's actually at this point become like kind of like a welfare problem to like keep farmers alive. And, you know, that I, I absolutely Mm -hmm, support bringing up the bottom of our society. And so for them, it's like, we got to stop just giving them these like one year solutions, one year solution. We need to give them a way to make revenue, not just on their products because their impact is more than just their mm-hmm. product. And, and so if you can do that, let's say you have mm-hmm. a pond and you're like, you already have a pond, you already have perennial buffers, you already are doing all this stuff. Here's a few thousand dollars. Thank you for your contribution to the environment. Now that farmer can say, hey, Marine, remember when we were talking about value added products and I didn't have any money for that? Well, here's some money for it. Go make me a brand that can turn my potatoes into potato chips. And that's how our farmers can actually get out of this deep, deep hole that we're in. We need to feed them money and resources in ways that will build them up, not just saying like, oh, your crop failed this year. Here's a check. Oh, your crop failed again. Here's a check. And and that it just we're not going forward that way. And um, so, yeah, right. You want to get ahead of it. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Great tips. Well, Jacob, thank you so much. This is a fascinating conversation. As always, you know, you're a, a man that moves a, a million miles an hour and it's always great to watch you and keep up with the many things that you're doing to contribute to soil health and, um, and wellness and regenerative in particular. So thanks for taking time today. Yeah. Thanks so much. If you ever want to regale your farm work, come on out. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Spilled Salt. I'm Maureen Balatori. For more information about the podcast, visit www.29designstudio.com. If you have questions for me, you can submit them through the contact form on the website. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.